Connecticut and Massachusetts, ZM Homes buys houses. Sell your property to the local guys. Needs repairs, updates, maybe foreclosure or inherited? No problem. We gotcha. Google or add us on Facebook at ZANDMHomes.com. In 1979, keyboard player Barry Andrews would leave my favorite band. I've never held it against him. I think we've all moved past it. But for those of you who've spent any time listening to this podcast, you probably know what band I'm talking about. But for those of you who haven't, the band was XTC. And of the five people who played in XTC, I've now spoken to four of them. In other words, drummer Terry Chambers should probably check his email. But this isn't really about them. This is a story about Barry. And the story behind Barry Andrews is really interesting because after 44 years, it would be Barry Andrews who would become the most prolific member of the bunch, not just as a solo performer, but as the co-founder of the insanely groove-driven powerhouse Shriekback, a band that was formed in 1981 with former Gang of Four bass player Dave Allen. Together along with co-singer and guitar player Carl Marsh and later drummer Martin Barker, Shriekback would create a string of records that were jammed with incredible rhythms, dark and mysterious lyrics, and an overwhelming amount of texture that most bands couldn't even dream of, including the very bands that these guys came from. I'm talking about songs like My Spine is the Baseline from 1982, or Lined Up from 1983, or Malaria, Nemesis, or Fish Below the Ice from their 1985 classic album Oil and Gold. Even songs like Underwater Boys or Blacklight Trap from their 1986 album Big Night Music. Just insanely great and occasionally overwhelming. Nobody, and I mean nobody, has ever sounded like Shriekback. Even their most recent work holds up to the same incredible standard of their earlier career, particularly 2021's 1,000 Books or last year's Bola Hula. And when I say that Barry has been prolific throughout his entire career, I'm not just talking about the 17 albums that he's released with Shriekback. Barry has also been a member of the League of Gentlemen with Robert Fripp from King Crimson. He's played with Iggy Pop in his 1980 album The Soldier, an album that included David Bowie and Glenn Matlock from The Sex Pistols. He's played with Brian Eno. He's recorded an album of largely improvisational music with his former XTC bandmate Andy Partridge. And I haven't even talked about his solo work because there's plenty of that stuff too. In other words, Barry Andrews is a total beast whose blistering vision and furious tenacity have built one of the most unique and enduring supergroups ever. This is my conversation with the legendary Barry Andrews from Shriekback on Baxi's musical podcast. Here I am. There's, there's the Barry Andrews I know and love. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, Michael. How are you doing? I'm doing great, Barry. How are you? I'm all right. I'm, uh, I was just experiencing. I've got this little setup here. I'm I'm doing some gigs as a uh, a solo performer type person, and uh, it's it's like a uh, it's in the, in a dub style, I suppose. <laughs> so I've, I've so uh, yeah, the microphone I happen to be using is going through all these dub related things. I like it. If we were able to have a conversation that way, that would be great. 
I know. I know. Sorry, sorry, sorry. There's such a nice sound I get a bit distracted. Put them away now. Hey, uh, yeah. Doing, oh, what's happening? I'm doing great. I'm so happy to have you. I, I've, uh, I have to admit, I was a little, a little anxious to, to talk to you, not because I wasn't ready for it or I, I didn't have questions. I just didn't want to screw up the pronunciation of Bola Hula. <laughs> More worried about that than anything else. That's the main thing to worry about. Yeah. However you pronounce that record, Bola Hula, I hope to hope it didn't screw it up too bad. You absolutely hit the nail on the head. There, oh, thank, thank God. What a relief. I mean, I could pronounce a thousand books a million times, but uh, Bola Hula kind of threw, threw me. For, I had to, like, <laughs> literally had to diagram the entire thing. Don't screw this up in front of uh, Mr. Andrews, whatever you do. <laughs> but uh, I've, I've been a, a, a big fan for a, an awful long period of time, and uh, it, it doesn't happen very often when an artist or a band has been together for, 43 years recording and some of the strongest material you've done is being done like right now. That's pretty unusual. Tell me about that to have that kind of longevity. Cause I mean, it's really nothing to just, you know, sneeze at it and, and ignore. Well, yeah, that's, that's a big question, isn't it? <laughs> how, I, if, if the question is how do you carry on working with other people for so long? I suppose it's yeah i i should point out that um we've sort of come in and out of relationship with each other i mean sure um, and actually bola hula is just me there's there's only me on, on right bola hula. so i suppose it's mainly that i i i, I think i have, have been like i need this guys and i'm going to, <laughs> i'm going to make this happen one way or another are you on board or not uh, so you know the the album's gone through uh, the the band's gone through various configurations where it was me or it was me and Carl or it was me and Martin or sometimes why well, you know it was me and Lou and Martin and Mark Rowdver and Simon Edwards and then the, back in the day it was Dave and um, so they've all the all been all these configurations but you would have to say uh, being honest that um, the one constant factor is me. that's true but even even if it's just you to still stay focused to that one brand i mean you've done solo work too i mean i'm certainly not discounting any of that but but to stay true to that one brand for for so long takes a commitment to that music that you know some artists feel they they want to pivot and try something completely different but you've kind of kept that lane going for all that time that's i mean that's pretty impressive that is a that is an interesting comment, isn't it? Because it is it sounds the way you said it. Then it's you make it sound like a virtue, but it may very well be that there's nowhere else to go. <laughs> Robert Robert Wyatt said a good thing, which was uh, one commits oneself to what is left. So that yeah, that might be a slightly disparaging way of saying it. But um, I think there's a uh, I think I was talking to some my cousin actually about um finding your voice in music you know like the uh the point at which you sort of stop being the sum of your influences and the thing kicks over into something that hopefully is kind of yours and yours alone you know it's obviously because it's rock and roll there will always be lots of influences there but somehow you know you've managed to get something a bit original out of this uh this big gestalt of you know stuff that you've absorbed I mean, you're a good example of someone that found their voice, considering you know what you had gone through with with XTC and and even the little bit of stuff I heard from Restaurant for Dogs. You can hear a direction being built. You can kind of hear the building blocks of what Shriekback 
would become. But you certainly did find your voice at, at some point. Yeah. And I assume that all of those things really were building blocks to get there. Yes, I think that's right. I mean, I've, I've seen other people do it. It's interesting when you watch other people, you can see them kind of, you know, no, not, not down there. No, 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 over there. Yeah, yeah that's it. Yeah, yeah, do that. Once, but once you find it, I think that was my point really, was um, once you find that voice, it's very hard to um, say, retrace your steps, go back and say, and shall I make it something else? Perhaps something more flamenco influenced, you know. It's, uh, <laughs> it's, it's not, it's not. Like falling in love or falling out of love, you um, you rarely you rarely can you can't go back. You know what I mean? You do, sure. Once you've done it, you've done it, and it's and that's then your thing. And I, so I suppose I found it easy to keep keep faith with it, really, because it's uh, uh, yeah, there is nothing nothing else like it in my life. I remember being in college and and working in college radio, and I remember when Oil and Gold came out. This was you know eight eighty five, and I yeah. re, and I remember hearing it for the very first time and and not even realizing that it was that was you and, and and dave allen from from gang of four at the time but the first time i heard it, i'm like oh my god this sounds so enormous it sounds like this incredible wall of amazing grooves and sound and then you know to find out that about the xtc and the gang of four connection made it all that more interesting because it's so different from either one of those bands that it was all the more impressive because sometimes you get that idea of a super group and it doesn't you know really yeah. materialize the way Shriekback did it's a, it was just an overwhelming wall of of sound well yeah thanks 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 for noticing i i remember writing somewhere that um in theory because i mean people were interested oh right so xdc what happens if you mate xdc with gang of four and uh, one one answer might be uh, you get herky jerky agit prop <laughs> or the other one, or a bleak industrial take on the Beatles, right? <laughs> but then you end up with this other thing, this kind of deep slurry of stuff, very bass heavy, extremely arty, and has a uh, as a title that refers to a, a freshwater variety of British fish, and uh, nobody saw that coming. <laughs> <laughs> so when you're doing your restaurant for dogs, and you're and you're getting that sound in order, or at least in your head. And then Dave Allen becomes available from Gang of Four. I mean, did you know right away that this was exactly what you wanted to do with it, or did it somehow develop between the two of you? Yeah, well, I think Dave wasn't that sure what he wanted to do, really. He just wanted to not be in the Gang of Four anymore and um, to carry on making records. And I, I guess the stuff that we were all listening to at the time, dance music, the first wave of New York electro Africa Bombata and people like that and so I think Dave's idea was really that we do something like that only more poppy because he was he was very clear he wanted to have a pop band on his hands uh, me, me and Carl were a bit sort of more reticent about that. Uh, as is often the case you know you you have a big plan and uh, and then you go and do something completely different <laughs> for, for some reason because you don't really know what you're doing um, but something within you is kind of guiding you so, so, I, so I suppose I had the restaurant for dogs thing, which had been like a, a huge failure in some ways, but in other ways, really inspiring. And I was encouraged mainly by, by Dave, I think, saying, look, you know, I'll sort everything else out. I'll do I'll do all the dealing with the music business. I'll get the studio time. I'll get 
some money to live off and get vans to move gear around town. And all you have to do is do the music end of things. So I was like, that sounds like a really good deal. Dave <laughs> was incredibly good at doing that stuff. <laughs> fucking terrible at doing that stuff. <laughs> so, uh, so it really was like a, a great little deal. And then, the, you know, that relationship, me and Dave, Dave being, you know, the drive and the facilitator and me having the, uh, the wafty arty ideas, um, yeah, lasted for a really long time and was, in fact, the core of the band. There would, would have been no, that was, yeah, the, the essential relationship that um, engendered Shootback. I'm sure over the last four decades, you've been asked every possible question about XTC and, 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 and why you left. And to me, it's not real hard to figure out. I mean, you know, the three songwriters in a band and, you know, that just had to be so challenging and maybe stifling creatively. Uh, but my question isn't really, you know, why you left. It's really about the songs that you would eventually come up with. I mean, you know, My Weapon, Super Tough from Go To. Again, very clearly, like, you know, building blocks, you know, stepping stones. Even when I'm hearing those songs, and I just, I just listened to them again this morning just to be sure if I was onto something here. It sounds like when you write songs, it's based primarily on a rhythm, and then it's built from that. And that seems to have been kind of the theme throughout all of this, that it's the rhythm first, and then that tends to inform everything else that goes on top of it. Is is, is that a fair assessment in how you put together music? Yeah, I'd say that's, that's bang on. Um, whether I sort of arrived at that conclusion in XTC, I, I'm not sure, although Super Tough sort of does tend to make it make its case. It was something I discovered very quickly. I, was, I mean, in XTC, we were... At, me, Colin, and Andy would bring along songs. You know, I'd play it on the guitar, and then Terry would sort of get a groove to it, and Colin would, and then we, you know, we build it up like that around. So we write the song, and then you you add the rhythm to it. And um, I don't know, the, the, the music I started getting interested in after XTC was very rhythmic music, you know, like funk and reggae particularly. And what I liked about those, as opposed to the, you know, the way we did things in XTC was that there were lots of stops and starts and kind of, and I don't know, it's something that struck me. It was, it was sort of weird and inorganic and kind of somehow in your head rather than in your body when you, you know, and that's so it's, it's suddenly it's like, and it's a mid late and, and then it goes back and do another thing. And I, yeah, I always found that, like, oh, that's so fiddly. I don't, I don't really like that. Um, so yeah, when when I started starting working with Martin Barker, actually that was and uh, Martin Barker and the drum machine, and then you realise that yeah, you can just have this thing and it just goes along, you know, and um, it's very satisfying and there's no no real reason to change it. It's um, it, and it's much more fun if you don't actually. It sounds like as uh, in the same way that you're trying to find your voice at that point, even the band XTC was finding their voice. I mean, they didn't really settle into their pocket until drums and wires and actually dave allen i would say is the same way i mean the the way he would play bass for Shriekback is 180 degrees away from from gang of four as great as gang of four was it sounded like yeah, yeah, he yeah. was still trying to find his voice too and found it with you in Shriekback. well I th I, it was a very wonderful thing i think where uh, i i i discovered martin barker in uh, in a club in um <laughs> in Clapham. And uh, he was a young lad just down from the north, and his his background was not exactly jazz, but he did he did like jazz, and he sort of hung out with jazz jazzy people. 
So there was a certain amount of world music in his playing, but it tended towards a sort of quite scattery, yeah, a lot of technique did Martin. And I think drummers with a lot of technique can become quite uh, quite fiddly and, and light. Right. But not, you know, about a groove. And uh, Dave was like the absolute opposite of that. That it was like you know you didn't even need the drums with Dave playing. It was like, <laughs> Jesus Christ! It's so like bleak and industrial and pig iron and battleships and in your face. <laughs> so putting these two together was like, oh God, he's just going to crush Martin under his base. And Martin, you know, but what what in fact happened was that they start. Martin became more solid. And Dave became lighter and more flexible and, and more sort of uh, became unafraid of beauty, I think. You know? mm. So th- things like the bass line on This Big Hush, which I sort of I listened to today with much sort of marvel at, at, marveling at how lovely and smooth and, and how it follows the melody line. And you know, it's a very, very musical kind of uh, bass line. And initially it was, it was quite hard to sort of get Dave to sort of Come on, I, I can't fucking do this. Other than you, no, 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 because it's like you're gonna have to push the envelope a little bit here. And then when he did, I think uh, he discovered that this is fucking great, and that he was really, really good at it, and he could bring all that solidity into a, a more um. Well, uh, yeah, I, I love his gang of four as well. So there's no nothing wrong with that that style of brutal right. industrial bass playing. But uh, yeah, Dave found he had a few more um few more stops on the uh, on the organ you know well the, the nice part about funk in particular is i think once as a musician once you settle into that that rhythmic pocket it winds up becoming not only really fun to play but it also becomes in a way you just become a, like a like you become like a looser musician with it it's like you're not necessarily controlling the funk sometimes the funk is controlling you and there's something kind of <laughs> satisfying about that i think the, fun, the funk is channeling you <laughs> you are a vessel for the funk <laughs> So it's a kind of like a very George Clinton kind of way of looking at funk music, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I, I, I think that's totally right, and uh, that's why well, that's why it's nice to dance to, isn't it? Really. I was, I was, yesterday, actually, by uh, someone called Jan Jalakin, and it's um, it's I guess it's kind of lo-fi experimental kind of stuff, and there's nothing much on it. Uh, it's just this tiny little. <laughs> But it's full of groove, and it's really, really kind of, it's tiny, just tiny little dusty, it sounds like dust <laughs> on a record, crackling away. But it's, uh, yeah, if you listen to it the right way, oh, it's, it's absolutely a sort of banging techno tune. So the groove is in there, it's just everything's been miniaturized. So it's, uh, yeah, I think it is a question of um, rhythmic coherence rather than um, sonic quality. One of the things that I, I absolutely wanted to ask you about, because I, I think this is a really interesting twist in, in your career after you left XTC and after uh, and, and as you're you're getting ready for you know your own music you get involved with Robert Fripp on his first solo album Exposure yeah. and you're playing with everybody from you know Peter Gabriel to Daryl Hall and you know Eno and, and Phil Collins how did you meet Robert Fripp where how did that become a thing oh it was uh, just kind of um pretty accidental we i was over in new york with xtc and we were playing with talking heads at the beacon theater as i recall and robert came along i think he was living in new york at the time and he was looking for i think the way he said it was uh, i was looking for some musicians to change the temperature of a couple of 
tunes on the on my record. <laughs> so he's so he came backstage and he said, "Would I be interested in playing some organ on uh, a couple of tracks from Exposure?" So I, th- I I thought I was a bit of a weird choice for the uh, for the prog rock oriented right. sure. Mr. Fred. Well, I wasn't about to say no, and he was he was paying, and um, I thought it'd be fun. So I borrowed Jerry Harrison's organ and um, went over there, and uh, it became apparent very quickly that these these tracks were not the sort of thing I was I was used to at all. <laughs> <laughs> In fact, it's best not to not to try and follow all the changing time signatures and uh, all of this very very technical shit going on. Uh, so I, I ended up just going. To, doing big glissandos and kind of falling on the keyboard and that. <laughs> uh, I like, all right yeah so i got back to london after that and i guess about you know, i did an album with iggy pop and it was a little bit after that that robert got back in touch and said he was putting a band together and would i be interested in playing in it i just i just think it's really interesting because you know you know you, you know xdc is kind of dominated by by you know, a very strong personality and, and, and Andy Partridge, and then all of a sudden you're working with a guy who also has a pretty dominant approach and personality, but in a, in a very, very different kind of way. What are the biggest differences between the two? Yeah, I don't know. They're, uh, they're both from the West Country. They've both got funny voices. <laughs> Fair enough. So I remember seeing the video uh, for the first time for the Underwater Boys, which I thought was was a really one it was, it was a, it's a beautiful song it's it's kind of uh it's kind of frightening in a way but the cool thing about it is i really like the stuff that shriekback did that wasn't necessarily in your face but maybe maybe some of the the, the softer quieter stuff i always yes. thought that was really intriguing aspects of, of that catalog tell, tell me a little bit about about the texture of between both sides of it yeah, I, th- I think that that was a sort of one of those strange uh, discoveries that we made, probably on the second album on Care, with the with the track Evaporation. And uh, yeah, this relates to uh, to my dub experiment I'm doing at the moment. So I've got this kind of side project called Stick Basin, and I'm going out doing some solo gigs with um, just a small a small mobile intelligent um, outfit of machines. And uh, playing around with dub textures, um, using uh, quite a lot of of those street back songs that you identify, you know, the dark, big bass, quite meditative, uh, slowish songs, and uh, and just kind of rhapsodizing on those. So I'm doing like vocals over the top and de- uh, deconstructing some of them and dubbing them up. But yeah, the I guess the reason I'm doing that is because there has been a uh, people have been saying to me for some time. But that's the bit of Shriekback they really like, is this sort of dubby, dubby style thing that we can go to. And as I say, it was on Evaporation, on the, on the second album, that first discovered it, really. But it comes very directly from uh, Lee Scratch Perry and listening to some of the um, two tunes in particular. One was uh, Roast Fish and Cornbread dub, and the other was um, Bird in Hand, Turn the Super Ape. And I, t- I had a sort of epiphany. I tell everybody this. Uh, I had an epiphany in a, in a dance hall in um, Manchester. We were playing with XTC, and uh, one of um, one of the roadies was a big reggae fan. Way before white guy, well before that was a fashionable thing. And uh, he put on, I think it was uh, roast fish and cornbread. And I had this experience of reggae that I'd never, never known before. As it was coming out of our you know big PA system. 
and you felt you know felt the bass inside yourself the way you're meant to so mm. it stops being something you're listening to and becomes a kind of environment you're moving inside like a, an aquarium or something and i was really really taken with it and uh, it became one of those things you kind of oh i'd love to be able to do that <laughs> mate should we, have go, should we have a go at doing that then uh, that was that was the first time we got dave to um well we had an engineer as well who was up up for uh no more bass more bass we had, uh, we had... <laughs> usually they go no you can't you can't actually put more bass than that i'm sorry mate you know <laughs> i'm sure you can so i'm listening to these records but there's loads more bass than that no no but no i don't know about that but no you might be able to cut it no honestly no i can't put any more bass on. <laughs> and then we came across ian capel who was like yeah i reckon i can get some more bass out of this <laughs> and uh and so it's like yeah that's it yeah yeah do that <laughs> so that's how they were born really that whole genre of tunes you know one of the things that uh that i noticed in, in preparing for the interview and it, it's uh as as a fan it's it's uh you know it was, it was a little frustrating because i really want to be able to listen to a lot of the older stuff and go back to it but a lot of that older material particularly in the first couple of albums is is really hard to obtain i mean a lot of it is 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 out of print and it hasn't been you know available for for streaming or downloading or, or been you know re-released like I me mean, for example i was really trying to find a copy of all lined up which i think which i i absolutely adore that song but it's really hard to find even the the, the compilation from why records that came out a while back nearly impossible to find and if you find it it's it's you know almost beyond the the, the <laughs> beyond the point of being able to buy it but what is the story behind the older Shriekback material? Is is that is there a reason why that's become so difficult to find? Has there ever been any uh, thought of you know re-releasing it at some point? Well, um, I would say the, there's uh, got two words for you: Shriekback.com, where everything we've ever done can be found and downloaded. Pretty much everything we've done, yeah. including uh, all the early stuff. If you just go to Shriekback.com. You can either buy it, buy it one track at a time for 99 pence, or you can get the whole <clears throat> whole series of albums if you like. Yeah. Um, but, but you know, uh, I guess you're talking about physical product, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, as a, I mean, you can see behind me, I got a, this is like a, a fraction of the, of the music that I have to get a big wall of CDs back here. Oh, yeah. So yeah. I had a feeling, I had a feeling you had yeah. probably more. Yeah. And no, I, this is, this is all my wife would let me bring up. <laughs> all the, <laughs> my wife can only let me bring so much up, uh, from the basement, but, um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm one of those people that really likes holding on to, you know, a, a yeah. physical piece of music. I think everybody does like physical things, don't they? We are physical beings. We live in the physical world. Why wouldn't we like big chunks of things to hold on to? And, and I think that's, that's why we're seeing this resurgence of vinyl, which I, I would do a lot more of vinyl, actually. But um, it seems like the, uh, the streetback demographic is a very, um, very particular one in mm. that our punters seem to like CDs and downloads, but not vinyl. So hmm. my son's band, he's, he said, I, I, the being out of the veils, if you know them, he said, we haven't done um, CD for about 10 years. Yeah. It's just, just vinyl and downloads. So the, the young people, that's what they like. <laughs> but um, no, as, uh, our punters, who are, I would say probably are, are men of a similar age to you and I, um, tend to be, and, and they tend to be men too, tend to like, um, 
tend to like their CDs. So, yeah. you know, who am I to argue? I just keep churning well, them out. My wife protests the amount that I have around the house. And I and I, honestly, I can't, I can't blame her. God help us if we have to move. <laughs> and that stuff gets moved first because it's the most important stuff in the house. But yet I still, I still love, uh, I still love having that stuff. Yeah. I, I, I don't, I, music, I don't know. I'm, I'm some sort of weird kind of cold prostitute about music. I, I don't really care about the, uh, the object at all and in fact i haven't even got some of the albums that i've made mm. personally um i don't know why you mentioned earlier about the transitions that uh shriekback has gone through personnel wise you know dave is in carl is in you know everyone seems to kind of go back and forth you said you know lou edmonds had been involved for a while and i know that um you know in in a lot of cases that is somewhat you know hard to manage and hard to stay focused when there's just there's always something changing from one yeah. part to another. And we also talked about you staying focused over the years and, and, and being in that, in that lane. Do you like that role of being in charge of Shrinkback? Obviously when, when you were in XTC, you didn't, you didn't have that. You did have that when uh, you're, you're doing your own stuff, but then you were in a band, you give up some of that stuff. And then over time you kind of get it back. And so, what do you prefer? What what role do you feel most comfortable in? In a, in a collaborative one or one where you're the primary one with the vision? Well, like, like I say, Bola Hula was the, uh, was the first album since, I guess, Life in the Loading Bay that I've done pretty much by myself. Mm. And uh, to be honest, it was great. I mean, I was, you know, you haven't got to argue with anybody. You haven't got to worry about, you know, where anybody's at about. Well, so what do you think of that? Well, I could have done it a little bit more. It's just, you know your own and there's something great about that so I, I am very comfortable with that if i'm honest i mean i like the directorial role because i can't be bothered having arguments with people when they're obviously wrong about things so you know <laughs> let's just do it my way and it'll be fine how dare they let's have it. an opinion <laughs> i know i know it's stupid uh, but then, on the other hand, you do look back at things and go, "Wow, we couldn't. Have, I couldn't have done that on my own. Could I? Wouldn't have seen. You know, that, you, you did need like, like for instance, Dave's baseline on this big hush was just like, I wouldn't have programmed that if the technology had been around. Then. Yeah, that came out of you know his world, and there had been you know Mark things, and and in particular, I think collaborating with Carl is like you know you never know where that guy's going to go in his head find it incredibly inspiring i just thought of listen to um beyond metropolis i listened back to that it's like wow carl you bastard that's really is something else and it really kind of you raise your own game in order to uh to add something to that all of that is is just golden really isn't it but um that's that's the price you pay for the stupid arguments as well isn't it the other people are a pain in the ass <laughs> can't live with them yeah, but you, you occasionally have to work with them. And and occasionally you volunteered to work with them. A, a few years ago, you and Andy Partridge got together and, and did uh, Monstrance, which I think any XTC fan was you know delighted by the fact that you guys had gotten together and it seemed like everything was cool. But yeah, they were delighted till they heard it. Yeah, <laughs> I was going to say, it's, 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 oh my God, it's, Andy Barry working together. Uh, oh, fucking hell, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I mean, it's all, it's, it's all, you know, very experimental, improvisational. And so if you're looking for making plans for Nigel or, you know, uh, or any yeah. other XTC song, look in vain. You, yeah, you're right. You're not going to find it there. It was something totally different, but nevertheless, 
the kind of music you were doing required a certain level of of uh of selflessness and collaboration too yeah yeah i mean it, it can be the greatest fun in the world and, and i suppose because andy isn't really the world's greatest collaborator as i'm sure he himself would would admit um that was kind of always going to be the uh the limited nature of of that that collaboration really was, i was we were we were in the pub one night in swindon and he said you know i would like to do another record but it would have to be completely improvised <laughs> okay why why does it have to be completely improvised? <laughs> well because it just does because you know all right so he said you know a good drummer i said yeah i know very good drummer so um that's you know how, how that started but there was a feeling to it and i i did a lot of improvised music around that time and I, something i i don't know uh, jazz people will obviously tell you different but i thought the first thing that you do when you improvise is quite often inspired and i th and i think the first first tune on monstrance um uh what's it called uh oh lovely cosmonaut i think that's fucking genius that song yeah and i and i never listen i listen to that every now and again you know appreciatively i never listen to the rest of the record i think the rest of the record's pushing its luck really it's like <laughs> it's a double album of improv come on it's noodles <laughs> and the best you can say about it is that every now and again there's a little bit oh that's nice and then it fades away because that's sort of the nature of improv but yeah. but yeah so that that first the first fine careless rapture where you're all kind of nobody's trying to do anything we're all just kind of sniffing each other's asses <laughs> oh, oh yeah, that's good. yeah and then the second the second time you do it, you go, oh, remember that bit? Yeah, that, yeah, that seemed to work, didn't it? Uh, and suddenly the spontaneity's gone. Suddenly everyone's kind of, you know, <laughs> trying to get back the thing that they had just now. It's so funny to hear you talk about, you know, how he, he insisted that it was an improvisational record because of, you know, clearly, you know, back in, in, in 1978, there was something uncomfortable about him accepting songs that he thought were oh, actually yeah. pretty good. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if he thought the songs were very good. I, I don't think they were all that good, really. But um, Andy wants to be the, you know, the director of his own movie, and why the hell shouldn't he be? Right. I was, I was too young and too full of piss and vinegar to to go. It's his band, isn't it? I should kind of let him get on with it. Do you think? <laughs> or, or rather, knuckle down and be a good keyboard player until at such time as I'm ready to go and do my own thing. Yeah. Rather than try to create some dozy half-assed rebellion within the ranks which is just you know reminds me of the republican party actually sort of <laughs> not helping anybody no that's that's uh that's true you talk about uh about this new project the dub uh project uh stick basin to get that right yeah is that something that you're looking to release next year or or is there like is there shriek back stuff that could potentially come up the, the two things two things are going in tandem it seems so i've got like maybe sort of half a dozen working tracks for for the next street back record the 18th street back original album so i'm not quite sure how that's all going to pan out now so i'm in the sort of mm, there it is sitting in the corner of the room very quietly not not <laughs> saying much for itself but okay all right you're okay over there uh i'll, I'll be attending to you later i think but you know you can't you can't force these things and in the meantime, I, I wanted to do some gigs, so I, I'm doing the stick basin. I, you, I don't know if you know, stick basin is kind of like, um, I've been doing it for 15 years, I think. And it, it's there, there are four, four, three. There are three stick basin albums, uh, which you can get from streetback.com. <laughs> um, so I think this, 
this next one probably will be the the dub the dub uh stick basin record uh yeah that's what you asked me wasn't it yeah that's, uh, that's my reply <laughs> Well, Barry, this has been great. It's been a, a real pleasure to talk to you. I've, I've now talked to everybody who has been at XTC except for Terry, and uh, I'm going to have to email him at some point, and uh, and that will complete the whole XTC sphere. You should you should seek him out. He's easily the funniest. I've heard that, and 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 it won't uh, it won't go undone. That's that's for sure. I'll I'll get him at some point. Good. But it's been a real pleasure to talk to you. Like I said, I've 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 followed you for it seems like forever, and I've I've really enjoyed your music over the years. So thank you. I appreciate it, Mike. Good to talk to you. Thank you, Barry. Take care. Apparently, you can get everything by Shriekback by going to Shriekback.com. There's an awful lot of stuff to sift through, but I think you're going to love it. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. Feel free to follow the show and get regular updates on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. You can also email me at backs at rock102.com. I'd love to hear what you think. Thanks to ZM Home Buyers for their support, and thanks to you for listening to Baxi's Musical Podcast.